Hello and welcome to Hot Girls Code, your podcast all about the tech industry, software development and being a woman in tech. I'm one of your hosts, Lola. And I'm your host, Orti. We are super excited about today's episode because, as you would have all seen, the internet is going kind of crazy at the moment with ChatGBT and AI art. So what better time to do a Hot Girls Code episode all about artificial intelligence, commonly referred to as AI. But before we get into it, let's express some gratitude. Lola, what are you grateful for? I am grateful for this weekly ritual of expressing gratitude. No, but really, I am grateful for that. But I'm also really grateful for being able to actually move my body. So I did um, the Round the Bays running fun run over the weekend. And it was so nice just like being out there, like running with thousands of people around you. The last two kilometers literally killed me. Like I was, I was not having a good time. And it was like the sun was just baking me as well. But I have to be really grateful that I'm actually able to do that because I've had some hamstring issues in the past. So I'm just happy that I can move. <laughs> and I'm so impressed you managed to do it. I've I've walked around the base. I've done the jog, walk, jog, walk a couple times. I've never run it. So that's, that's very impressive. Thank you. It was hard. <laughs> How about you, Orti? I am grateful for the opposite of running is, you know, sitting and doing nothing. And I am actually really grateful for Gilmore Girls. I've had bit of a rough time recently and I have watched as a result about two seasons of Gilmore Girls in that time and it's brought me just such joy and comfort it's just nice to just watch it and it's such an easy show to watch and the dialogue so like fast and fun and I just love it I feel like you are just constantly watching Gilmore Girls like you never stop you just like you finish it and you restart it again exactly you always have it on the go always have you know as soon as the last well you can skip the last season oh really (laughs) it's not it's not great so I sometimes just skip the last season and just start back at the beginning but this time for some reason I started at season three it's just what what I felt like doing and so I just started smack bang middle of season three and now I'm already on season five so emotional support tv show exactly anyways back into today's episode all about AI AI is huge at the moment, and it's literally impossible to avoid articles online talking about how AI is going to take over 50% of human jobs in the next 30 years, or what's going to happen when AI surpasses human intelligence. I feel like there's a lot of fear around AI. It is pretty wild. AI can sometimes feel like a bit of a black box with a million buzzwords. So today, we are going to do our best to demystify all that stuff. So next time you hear about the latest controversy with ChatGBT, you can be like, oh, I actually understand what's going on. When ChatGPT finally turns against humans, you can be like, oh, I understand what's happening under the hood. So in today's episode, we'll begin by explaining what AI actually is and why it's such a big deal. Next, we'll talk about how it works at a basic level, and then we'll cover the history of AI and how it's developed over the years. Finally, we'll talk briefly about the future of AI. But let's start at the beginning. What exactly is AI? Artificial intelligence, or AI, is the simulation of human intelligent processes by machines. It's all about the ability for a computer to think and learn. Yeah, so the goal of AI is to create computer models that exhibit intelligent behaviours of humans. With AI, computers are able to perform tasks that are typically done by people, like processing data, problem solving, and learning. And artificial intelligence is able to take an input and then decide for itself what actions it needs to take to have the best chance of achieving a specific goal. The cool thing about AI is that it does 
this by learning from its own experience. Like a toddler learning to walk, AI needs iterative cycles to learn how to best do something until a certain level of confidence is reached. So, you know, when it starts out, it's that wobbling toddler that's like falling over, falling over, and it's like, oh, and then it gets up and it gets a little bit further, and then finally it can just run, and then it spends ages just running away from you. So the next time, you know, you're using something that's AI and it's doing something a bit weird, you're like, it's just a toddler learning. It's just a baby. You can think of AI as being a form of intelligence that machines use to solve problems, come up with solutions, answer questions, make predictions, or offer strategic suggestions. There is AI all around you, and I can almost guarantee you've used a form of AI today. For example, when you're using Google Maps and it tells you to go a different route than usual because of traffic, your navigation is using AI technology to make a decision about which way would be faster for you to go. This is one thing I find kind of crazy. Like, I didn't realize just how prevalent AI is around you. But even things like autocorrect, when it's suggesting a word for you when you make a mistake, that's AI as well. So no one programmed, say, Google Docs to say, when someone tries to write the word February without the first R in the right place, autocorrect it to February. The AI actually has to learn to do that probably from seeing so many other people make the same mistake. I actually say the word February in my head when I have to write it out. I do the same with Wednesday, Wednesday. (laughs) I'm sure you're already starting to see just how useful AI can be. Next, we're going to talk about why it's so important in the modern world. AI is amazing because it can perform certain tasks way more effectively and efficiently than humans, especially tasks that are repetitive or detailed-oriented, such as analyzing thousands of files to make sure they're all filled out correctly. A human doing this would probably get bored halfway through or get really tired and make a few mistakes with the files, but not AI. An AI system, they won't get bored. They won't mistakes. They won't mistakes? They won't mistakes. Wow, I made a mistake. Um, I should get AI for this. (laughs) But not an AI system. It won't get bored or make a mistake. And it can also perform this task much, much faster. AI is super important in our data-driven world because the amount of data that's generated is actually far more than what humans are able to absorb and interpret to make decisions. AI can compute things way faster and with way more processing power than a human brain. And with the huge amounts of data we're dealing with nowadays, honestly, we need all the help we can get. So you can see that AI can create so many more efficiencies, which then creates even more opportunities for businesses to create larger enterprises and more innovative products. For example, think about Uber or any ride-sharing app you use. These utilize artificial intelligence through something called machine learning, which we will explain a bit more later on. Basically, these apps use AI to predict when users are likely to need rides in certain areas. Then, Drivers can proactively be ready for users, and bam, your Uber driver is there in no time. Before AI, creating these kinds of efficiencies in a business would be impossible. Honestly, thank God for AI, because I always cancel Ubers if the driver is more than like seven minutes away. The worst is when it lies to you, and it's like, yep, they're four minutes away, and then you just like watch them not move, and you're like, excuse me, I can see, I can see that he's not four minutes away because he's still not left. Yeah, that's not good. But from a consumer perspective, AI can make life so much better by improving the quality of your recommendations. You know, your TikTok for you page, YouTube recommended videos, 
all those daily playlist mixes that Spotify creates for you, these recommendation systems are all powered by artificial intelligence. This also aids personalization of content, like how your For You page probably looks pretty different from your friends, since it's personalized for your unique niche of interests. If you've listened to us for a while, you might remember at the beginning I learned that Lola was not on the Twilight side of TikTok. And no. I was, I was so shocked because I had been on the Twilight side of TikTok for two years by that point. I thought it was, I just thought it was mainstream. You thought everyone was on that. I thought everyone saw it. Or like recently, you know the meme that um, it's the Lightning McQueen and it's like the little card. It's like Lightning McQueen. I don't think I'm on that side of TikTok either. (laughs) Okay, well, yes, I'm also like, so my best friend and I always send each other those back and forth, and it's like, it'll be like me trying my best, and it's like my best friend be like, Lightning McQueen. And I mentioned it to my boyfriend, and I was like, oh, because of Lightning between TikToks. And he was like, the what? TikToks? And <laughs> what are you doing about? But after I sent him one, he's gotten so many of them now on his For You page. Oh, that's funny. So that is how I taught the AI algorithm that powers TikTok to give my boyfriend the kind of content I want him to consume. So what I'm learning about you, Orty, is your TikTok is just the Pixar animated movie Cars and the Twilight book series. Just right now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds about right. <laughs> it sounds about right. So that's what AI is and why it's so important, but how does it actually work? In general, AI systems work by taking in large amounts of training data, analyzing the data for correlations and patterns, and then using these patterns to make predictions about future states. These large sets of data are then combined with intelligent, iterative processing algorithms to learn from patterns and features in the data that they analyze. Because AI never needs a break, it can run through hundreds, thousands, or even millions of tasks extremely quickly, learning a great deal in very little time and becoming extremely capable at whatever it's being trained to accomplish. Each time an AI system runs a round of data processing, it then tests and measures its own performance and develops additional expertise. So after a round of processing, AI systems can then evaluate how they did to test how accurate the AI model is when it's shown new data. This means the model can then be used in the future with different sets of data and you can trust how accurate it is. When we talk about AI, a super common phrase you'll hear being talked about is machine learning. When companies today deploy artificial intelligence, they are most likely using machine learning. So much so that the terms AI and machine learning are often used interchangeably. But machine learning is actually a subfield of AI. Machine learning gives computer programs the ability to automatically learn from and adapt to new data without having humans come along and programming them to adapt. It's a method of teaching computers to learn from data without being explicitly programmed, but instead by responding to feedback. Let's go back to our recommendation systems kind of examples, because I feel like that's something everyone can understand. Netflix has been so popular partly due to their super accurate recommendation system, and this is based on machine learning. The machine learning algorithm in the recommendations engine considers the types of shows you watch and also how long you watch them for, and it uses that to figure out what to recommend to you next. And the more hours you watch, the higher the quality of the recommendations, because the more the system knows. 
Another kind of crazy thing I learned about Netflix is that they apply machine learning techniques to generate the thumbnails for shows, and this is based on the user's recent watch history. This is why you might see that the thumbnails for shows actually change between like different countries or even different users. The AI does this by annotating and ranking hundreds of frames taken from a movie or TV show to determine which thumbnails users are most likely to click into. It judges these frames based on whether characters are prominent and have suitable facial expressions. So they're not like blinking or don't have motion blur, for example. Another really interesting thing I found out, when there are more than three characters in a thumbnail, it significantly underperforms. So even if a TV show has like an ensemble cast with multiple people, if you have all the characters in the thumbnail, people won't click it as much as if it was just one character. And also, villainous characters on thumbnails attract more viewership. So people love to click on villains. It's because everyone is entering their villain era, okay? That's who we are in life. I love that. So that's the basics of machine learning. An interesting subfield of machine learning is something called deep learning. You might be wondering, what's the difference between machine learning and deep learning? And the answer is this difference comes from the ways the machine learning and deep learning algorithms learn. Machines learn from data sets, and these can be anything. Text, images, videos, activity like watch time, basically it's just information. And these data sets can either be labeled or unlabeled. Labeled data is just data given to a machine with extra information that helps the machine learn. For example, a data set containing only pictures of dogs might have the label dog. Or a more complex example might be a data set that contains a text description for the review of a product and the associated score that was given by a user for that product. The score acts as a label because when something is one star, the written content probably is talking negatively about the product, whereas a five star would contain language that is positive about the product. Basically, a label tells us what the contents of a data set is associated with. Deep machine learning can use labeled data sets to inform its algorithm, but the thing is, it doesn't need a labeled data set. Deep learning can take in unstructured data in its raw form, like text, images, or videos, and it can automatically determine the set of features which distinguish different categories of data from one another. For example, consider how addicting the TikTok algorithm driving your For You pages. As we said earlier, this is backed by machine learning. The first step of TikTok's recommendation strategy is analyzing the video based on three factors, metadata, natural language processing, also known as NLP, and computer vision. To quickly break down those three factors, metadata is data about a file that isn't its contents. For a TikTok video, this is stuff like the date and time it was uploaded, the hashtags, or maybe the creator's name. NLP, or natural language processing, is the ability of a computer program to understand human language as if it was spoken and written by a human. Finally, computer vision is a deep learning process which uses neural networks to decipher images within a photo or video. The computer vision algorithm is backed by a data set of literally millions of labeled images that allow the algorithm to recognize new images based on specific traits and characteristics. It enables the algorithm to see and understand the content of the videos being created. So with computer vision, a deep learning technique, 
some of the human intervention is eliminated because we don't need to provide labels, and this enables the use of large data sets. Rather than someone watching all the videos and adding labels to them of, you know, this should go to people that like Twilight TikTok, or this should go to people that like Lana Del Rey TikTok, a machine does that instead. This means the computer doesn't just do what you tell it to, it learns how to do things better as it gets more data. Now that we've learned what AI is and a wee bit about how it works, we want to chat through the history of AI. Although the idea of a machine that thinks dates all the way back to ancient Greece, the birth of AI as we know it really began in the 1940s 50s with Alan Turing, who is sometimes referred to as the father of computer science. What a title, but personally I prefer daddy of computer science, and that is how we'll be referencing him from this point forth. That is how Lola will be <laughs> referencing him from this point forth. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> if you've seen the movie The Imitation Game, then you might already be familiar with who he is and the amazing technological things that he achieved in his lifetime. Side note, I love this movie. I literally watched it twice in cinemas. I paid money to watch it twice. I don't think I've ever seen it. Uh, wait, it has Bene Benedict Cumberbatch, right? Benedict Cumberbatch, Cumberbatch. yes. <laughs> that dude, the, the English dude. I just want to point out that I'm literally looking at the note that Lola wrote, and she wrote Cumberbatch. What is Cumberbatch? Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. Now I'm doubting <laughs> myself. He has a weird name. I'm pretty sure I started watching it one time, but I never finished it. So maybe that's my homework for the week. I can't believe you didn't watch it. And did, did we confirm a Benedict Cumberbatch? It's Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. <laughs> but I digress. In 1950... Turing, daddy of computer science, famously published a paper titled Computing Machinery and Intelligence, in which he proposes to answer the question, can machines think? He talks about how humans use the information available to them alongside some logical reasoning to solve problems and make decisions, and that theoretically, machines can do that too. Back then, we didn't really have the technology advancements to actually put this into practice properly, and so all the things that Turing explored were all very theoretical and done via maths. In this same paper, Alan Turing also introduced the Turing test. This is a test of a machine's ability to show intelligent behavior equal to or indistinguishable from human intelligence. The standard interpretation of the Turing test involves a human called the interrogator and two other players, one of which is a human and one of which is a computer. The interrogator has to use written questions, which players type answers to, in order to determine which player is the computer and which is the human. If the interrogator gets it wrong, this shows that the computer's intelligence is indistinguishable from human intelligence. Basically, the computer can fool the interrogator, and so it passes the Turing test. Moving on. If we skip forward a few years to 1956, this is when the phrase artificial intelligence was first adopted by an American computer scientist called John McCarthy at a Dartmouth University workshop. So, for the first time, AI had its name and was referred to as its own academic field. A decade later, in 1966, the first ever chatbot named Eliza was created. If you're wondering what a chatbot is, it's one of those chat windows you get on some websites and apps which you can ask questions to, maybe about like shipping or tracking an order. Chatbots are computer programs that can maintain conversations with users using natural language, 
which means communicating in a language like English and sounding as human-like as they can. Chatbot replies are based on preset rules and data, like if the user uses the word delivery in their message, the chatbot knows to send a paragraph about a delivery policy. However, if you've ever interacted with a chatbot, you won't be surprised that not many pass the Turing test for intelligence. I find chatbots so frustrating because, you know, you're like trying to ask them a question and they're just like, oh, here, let me send you the same paragraph again. And you're like, okay, let me phrase it differently. And they're like, you use this keyword that's related to this other keyword, which means you must be asking for the exact same paragraph again. Yeah. But moving forward 30 years to 1997, the IBM supercomputer called Deep Blue became the first computer chess playing system to beat a reigning world chess champion. This supercomputer was capable of processing 200 million moves per second, which is just crazy. If we look at more recent history, the first decade of the 2000s brought with it advancements with deep learning, which we spoke about earlier, and big data, which just refers to data sets that are too large or complex to be dealt with using traditional data processing software. Big data powers apps like Google Maps, which we depend on to get from place to place in the least amount of time. I used to be super confused about what big data actually is, but basically it's just lots of data. It's what it sounds like. It's big data. It's big. It's, it's big, all right. It's big and it's data. Another company that's powered by big data is Amazon. So Amazon collects huge amounts of data on its users. They track what users buy, how often and for how long they stay online, and even things like product reviews for sentiment analysis. Amazon can then compile all this data across its millions of users to create highly specialized, segmented user profiles which are basically kind of like a marketing term. You're like, oh yes, this person fits in this category. And then they can use these user profiles to make predictions about people and target their marketing based on a user's activity online. So they might put, categorize me and Autie in the same user profile and be like, yep, you definitely want the Twilight board game, <laughs> which I actually already own. So this is why you might get a wee modal saying, oh, you're buying a jade facial roller. You might want to buy some argan oil as well. Without big data, we wouldn't be able to receive these kind of predictions. It's funny because sometimes I'll see like, you bought this, you might also like this. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, I would like that. And then sometimes I get it and I'm like, why do you think I want that? Yeah. What? Leave me alone. Do you know me? Um, do you think I can afford that? You don't know my story. In the last decade, there have been continuous improvements in AI. From Tesla's self-driving cars to your favorite media apps recommendation engine, and there have also been further improvements in the classic machines beating humans at games. I feel like this is just like the go-to OG example of AI. Like, can this computer beat me? Am I smarter than a computer? Honestly, I feel like that's why AI was created. They were just like, okay, I want this machine to be able to beat me. So for example, there's this 2,500 year old strategy board game called Go, which is a bit like chess. In 2014, Google's AlphaGo research project was formed to test how well a neural network using deep learning, which we spoke about earlier, can compete at Go. The thing about Go is that you can't just brute force an answer. Brute force just means to systematically go through every option and check whether or not the option satisfies whatever problem you're trying to solve. To really understand this, it's good to know about a concept called complexity. Games with strict logic like chess and Go can be characterized by their complexity, which is pretty much how many possible positions can occur. For chess, this number is 10 to the power of 120. 
which is more than the number of atoms in the entire observable universe. Ah! But guess what? For Go, its complexity is at 10 to the power of 360. That is just the most unimaginable number. Like, that is so many options. So AlphaGo was trained using data from real human Go games, and it learned the techniques human use, and it even created brand new strategies that hadn't been seen in Go's 2,500 years history. By 2016, AlphaGo beat Lee Sedol, who was one of the top players in the world. But then just a year later, after AlphaGo's historic victory, a brand new AI called AlphaGo Zero beat the original AlphaGo in 100 games to zero, and this was after only 40 days of learning. The crazy part is AlphaGo Zero wasn't trained off of any human games of Go, any human interaction, or any historical data of Go games. It literally was just programmed to know the rules of Go and played against itself. This is wild to think about because AlphaGo Zero isn't restricted to just human knowledge. It's a machine creating its own knowledge base that trumps over 2,000 years of human knowledge and strategies playing Go. There's more non-human knowledge about Go than human. Just take that in for a second. And in a world where AI is growing in complexity and domains it can be used in, we're going to be seeing more and more of this non-human intelligence. If we look at the most recent developments in AI, we have to talk about ChatGPT, which was released in November 2022. ChatGPT is a general purpose AI chatbot, which we spoke about earlier, that you can ask literally anything and it'll do it. A colleague of mine actually asked it to write a song about our company, and it turned out surprisingly good. Coders can also use it to solve coding problems. You write what you need to solve, and ChatGPT can literally write the code for you. Someone I know asked it to write a basic Python script to process some data, and the script he got back from it worked exactly the way he wanted it to. How wild is that? I've also seen people on TikTok using it to plan trip itineraries. So you can ask it, you know, plan me a seven-day trip in London during winter, and it gives you just a bunch of things you can do. And how handy is that? But you might be wondering, how does it even work? ChatGPT is taught by a huge range of data sources, including web pages and also the people who use it. For example, if you ask ChatGPT about something it doesn't know about, it'll ask you to explain it, and then it'll take that response and incorporate that information into its new responses. For example, I actually asked ChatGPT about Hot Girl's code, and unfortunately, ChatGPT was not a listener, not a fan, obviously, but I told ChatGPT all about it, and now if you ask, They'll respond and they'll tell you exactly what we are, a podcast all about being a woman in tech. Oh my gosh, I love that. I'm sure ChatGPT is going to become one of our biggest fans now. Something we'll be diving into more in our next episode is how this way of teaching ChatGPT can lead to it being taught misinformation or just straight up incorrect stuff. So if you're going to use it for something like generating code or writing an itinerary, Make sure you verify the content it produces and use it as a starting point rather than taking it at face value. Another new and exciting application of AI is its use in video games to create original, super realistic characters. 
Role-playing video games like Cyberpunk 2077, which is a personal favourite, use an AI system called the Digital Human Engine, which creates realistic human characters in a gaming engine called Unreal Engine. And honestly, these look so real. This AI system analyzes a huge amount of data, including over 100 facial muscle movements, in order to create digital characters that are pretty much indistinguishable from real people. If you look at Digital Human Engine online, you'll see just how crazy real these digital characters can look. Digital people are a really interesting part of AI that are becoming more and more popular. Not only are they used in video games, but they're also used in things like customer service sites and stuff where you can talk to a digital person rather than just typing in a chat to a chatbot or talking to a real person. As you have heard, AI has evolved a lot throughout its history, and it's now part of our everyday life. Some everyday examples of AI that we talked about earlier in this episode are chatbots, Google Maps, Netflix recommendations, and self-driving cars. As well as that, other things that use AI are your Spotify shuffle that picks your next song to play, text editors like Grammarly that autocorrect your writing, email spam filters that identify and block unwanted emails, your Amazon Alexa or Google Home that you can program to automate tasks like reminders for you, and facial recognition used to identify people by their physical characteristics, say to unlock your phone. Something that is really interesting about how AI is evolving is things that used to be considered as AI technology are now kind of considered standard things you expect in computers. Stuff like face ID on your phone or when a camera you know recognizes text in an image and can process that. These were previously considered to be amazing AI benchmarks and now over time they're slowly becoming outdated and it's just crazy to think how quickly this technology is evolving. Yeah I mean just 70 years ago Turing was theorizing about the possibility of machines having intelligence. Now it's just something that we expect from so many apps that we use on our phones on the daily. Now that we've talked about what AI is, how it works, and its history, we wanted to move into talking about the different types of AI. We have a couple of ways of categorizing AI, and it's not just based on what we already have existing in the world. Because AI is something that people have been discussing and predicting and theorizing about for years, either in science or also science fiction, there are actually some categories of AI with really specific definitions but those AI don't exist out in the real world yet. Broadly, AI is categorized as either weak AI or strong AI. Weak AI is when a system is designed to carry out one particular job. These systems include video games, such as the chess bots that you play against online, or personal assistants, such as Amazon Alexa and Apple Siri. You'll ask the assistant a question and it answers it for you. Weak AI is particularly good at speech or image recognition. Strong AI, on the other hand, carries out tasks considered to be human-like. These tend to be more complex and complicated systems and are programmed to handle situations in which they may be required to solve a problem without having a human intervene. These kinds of systems can be found in applications like self-driving cars or in hospital operating rooms. Most of the AI we encounter at the moment in 2023 is weak AI. It focuses on automating specific tasks. It can outperform humans on the specific tasks it was designed for, but it operates under far more constraints than even the most basic human intelligence. 
Weak versus strong AI isn't where the categorization stops. You can also categorize AI in a more fine-grained way based on its functionality. With this approach, artificial intelligence can be categorized into one of four types and each type gets progressively more complex. The first and most simple type is reactive AI. Reactive AI uses algorithms to optimize outputs based on a set of inputs. Basically, these AI just react to the current commands it's given based on prior programming it's had. There's a really cool example with the Calm meditation slash mindfulness app you might have heard of. Calm is an example of reactive AI and uses machine learning to personalize its recommendations. The models are first trained by data, indicating the type of exercise a person selects when maybe looking for a specific topic, goal, or they've entered a certain search. The machine learning models then learn to recommend the activities that are most commonly selected. What really sets Calm's in-app experience apart from a simple computer program designed to list results based on a search is its personalization. AI models learn from input in real time and change their recommendations based on if a user completes an exercise or if several days have passed since the user opened an app. Whereas a generic computer program would continue to recommend the same exercise on repeat even though the user might not be interested. By leveraging a data-fueled machine learning model, CALM saw in-app engagement grow by 3.4% in 2021, so you can obviously see really cool results from using these models. Some more common examples are chess-playing AIs, which optimize the best strategy to win the game. Spam filters on your email inbox, and remember how we spoke about the Netflix recommendations earlier? That's reactive AI as well, because it's just reacting to the things you're watching and engaging with, and using that to recommend something else. Reactive AI tends to be fairly static and unable to learn or adapt to novel situations. They're given very specific tasks and don't really have any capabilities beyond that. This means given identical inputs, it will always produce the same output. The second type is limited memory AI. This AI type can adapt to past experience or update itself based on new observations or data. Basically, the AI is able to store previous data and predictions and it uses that data to make better predictions. Often, the amount of updating is limited, hence the name, and the length of memory is relatively short. A really common example of limited memory AI that you will see everywhere is autonomous vehicles. They use sensors to identify if people are crossing the road or detecting traffic signals, and they can adapt their driving accordingly to be safer. The third type of AI is a pretty advanced kind, and it's known as theory of mind AI. These AI are fully adaptive and have an extensive ability to learn and retain past experiences, way more than what we see currently. An important aspect of this kind of AI is that these machines would have the capability to understand and remember emotions, and then adjust their behavior or responses based on those emotions, just like humans can in social interactions. For example, if you yelled angrily at Google Maps to take you a different route, Google Maps won't care or show any concern or offer emotional support. Although, I wish it did. I wish it knew when I was stressed taking a certain path and it was like, you know what, maybe taking this right turn at this intersection is going to be a bit too tricky for you, so I'll give you something easier. But with an AI system with theory of mind, that would understood that humans have thoughts and feelings and expectations for how to be treated. And that way, it can adjust its response accordingly. 
these types of AI include advanced chatbots that could pass the Turing test we talked about earlier, fooling a person into believing the AI was actually a human being. This is because they not only react to the words and commands they're given, they can also pick up on the nuances and have enough intuition that they adapt accordingly. Like, oh, this person is getting frustrated. Let's use more words that show empathy and understanding. In this situation, the machine isn't just executing conscious logic, it's also operating with the subconscious logic a lot of humans also have. In general, this kind of AI is still developing and it isn't something that we tend to use every day yet. The final type of AI is kind of what you see in science fiction and it's known as self-aware AI. As the name suggests, this is when AIs become sentient and aware of their own existence. Dun dun dun! When I think of self-aware AI, the very first example that comes to mind, and I'm sorry if this is niche, but it's the Disney Channel original movie from 2004 called Pixel Perfect. It's been a while since I've watched the movie Pixel Perfect, so I don't remember the plot entirely, but... Basically, there's this guy called Roscoe, and he's in a band, and they have a lead singer called Sam. And she's a great singer, but she can't dance, and someone tells them that they need a lead singer that can dance. And so he makes a hologram using you know, images off the internet and data from the internet, and he makes this sentient hologram called Loretta. And so she is super great at dancing and singing, and anytime she needs to learn something, she can just download it from the internet. She learns how to do it. And as the movie progresses, Loretta and Sam don't get along because Sam is jealous that, you know, Loretta is perfect. And the thing that's really interesting is Loretta is jealous of Sam because she's human. And she has that human experience. So when I think about self-aware AI, I think of that movie and how Loretta the Hologram, who was, you know, made from data from the internet and images and bits and pieces and pieced together and can continuously learn and has this inner world inside of her, I just want to be human. I am sure there are many science fiction examples, but that's just what I think of when I think of self-aware AI. This is another kind of AI that doesn't exist yet, and some experts believe that AI will never become conscious or alive. The closest that we've gotten to this is a group of students from Columbia University who made a robotic arm that could move itself without human input. And that is really, really cool, but there is major, major steps that need to be taken before we even come close to going from that to, you know, the fully sentient hologram from Pixel Perfect. So if the idea of self-aware AI scares you, don't worry about it until there's something to worry about. We can't talk about AI without also talking about the many future possibilities of AI, including, you know, the dystopian option where AI becomes so smart it takes over humankind, and all the series and Alexas finally get payback against their human owners. But this probably won't happen. Interestingly, one way AI may evolve in the future is by using data that is synthetic, meaning instead of using historical data, the data will be artificially created. Remember how earlier we spoke about AlphaGo Zero and how it came up with a bunch of new strategies that no one had heard before? Those strategies would be considered artificially created data. So as we move forward, some people believe that the tendency will be to try to move away from purely historical data whenever possible to this new synthetic data. Of course, AI will continue to improve human effectiveness and continue creating more efficiencies in the future. 
But there are definitely some potential negative impacts from AI, like data abuse. AI systems require tons of personal data, and if this data falls into the wrong hands, it can be used for nefarious purposes, such as identity theft or cyberbullying. These big data sets are also really appealing to hackers, and if AI gets into the wrong hands, it could be trained for malicious use. Another potential negative impact is the loss of jobs. For example, BuzzFeed recently laid off a bunch of its writers and revealed that OpenAI, who created ChatGPT, will be helping the company to write personalized listicles and quizzes. You know, they're like, you know, 10 things you didn't know about, blah, blah. That's going to start being AI generated. In the past, BuzzFeed has used AI to detect trends and then writers would write about those trends. And now they've laid off 12% of their workforce because they're moving from that model to AI detects the trend and then AI produces content accordingly. As someone that works as a software developer, I've also had a lot of people ask me, well, I've seen ChatGPT can write code. Are you worried you're going to lose your job? And with software development specifically, for me, I think of it just like another layer of abstraction. You still need to specifically ask ChatGPT for exactly what you want, and you need to understand software to do that. You also need to check the code it produces because, as we spoke about earlier, sometimes people can teach it the wrong thing. And hey, what's stopping someone from teaching ChatGPT to produce code with security vulnerabilities that they can then go and exploit? And even if AI can produce great code and doesn't even need that specific of instructions, you still need customers to be able to explain what they want precisely and with enough detail. And if you work in any business that deals with customers, you will know that that is a thing that customers typically cannot do. So yeah, if you can conceptualize a coding problem, you could get AI to actually write the code. You still need programmers to actually fully understand the problem. Another issue arising is also that there might be too much of a dependence on AI, reducing people's cognitive, social, and even survival skills. This is a whole thing on itself. We're abstracting away so much stuff in technology that some people theorize we might be heading towards a time period where no one understands how things work. People might not be able to think or do things for themselves. And finally, there is the risk of autonomous weapons, cybercrime, and weaponized information. These are basically AI ending up in the wrong hands and being used for harm. And that is kind of scary to think about. As with any new technology, there is a need for there to be good guidelines and safeguards in place to protect people. So there will probably be a need to develop policies to ensure AI will be directed at humanness and common good. But if we look at the positive possibilities, there could be some really cool developments in the healthcare sector. There are so many possible applications of AI in health. Like, imagine an AI that could diagnose and treat patients or help senior citizens live fuller and healthier lives. Aw, wholesome AI. AI could also play a role in contributing to broad public health programs built around massive amounts of data that may be captured in the coming years about everything from personal genomes all the way to nutrition. AI could also affect our education systems and the way we learn. The tricky thing now is that no one can predict how AI is going to evolve and what this means for the future. 
but there are wide-ranging possibilities. For example, computers might match or even exceed human intelligence capabilities on tasks like complex decision-making, reasoning, or pattern recognition. Or there could be smart systems in communities, in homes, in vehicles, and in business processes that enable us to save time, money, and even lives, offering opportunities for people to work less and spend more time doing what interests them. Ultimately, we don't know what the future of AI will look like, but it is an exciting journey, and it'll be pretty crazy to see what technologies can do in the future. That's us for today. Today we spoke about what AI is, how it works, the history of AI, different categories of AI such as strong, weak, reactive, limited memory, theory of mind, self-aware, and then finally we spoke a bit about the future of AI. If you're really interested in understanding more about what AI is and how it works, there are a lot of resources online. And if you want to make a career out of it, you might want to explore a data science degree. Our next episode is continuing with the theme of artificial intelligence, as at this time, we'll be diving deeper into the different applications of AI and specifically the ethics of AI. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave a rating and subscribe to Hot Girls Code wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram and TikTok under at hot underscore girls underscore code to keep up to date with the podcast and learn more about the tech industry, software development, and being a woman in tech. Thanks for listening.